Now, if you would join me as I'll lead us in prayer for the many things we have to pray about, friends. Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning. And as we just sang, thou hast not left us, that we oft left thee, that we have a rock, a redeemer, who constantly intercedes for us at your right hand. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we long for your salvation to be complete. Lord Jesus, come quickly. In the midst of very turbulent times, Father, we ask for your help. This virus that has taken the world captive, in many ways imprisoned people in their own homes worldwide, Father, be at work to halt its spread. Be at work both in public and private entities to help us fight it. Father, we pray for our many friends, whether that be in northern Italy or in South Tulsa, who have canceled services and are worshiping online. We thank you that that is an option now, whereas even 50 years ago, it was a pipe dream. We ask that you would enable your church soon to meet together again, to hug, to embrace without fear. Father, for us, give us cautious boldness. We do, in times of natural disaster, look to our government for guidance and help, whether that's a hurricane or an earthquake. And we do so now in these times. Help us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Help us to look after the most vulnerable in our society, those who are elderly, those who are uh, immune-compromised, Help us to ask our neighbor if they need help and make us willing to go the extra mile. Calm our hearts. Some of us are not worried at all <laughs> and maybe even wash our hands less out of just sheer stubbornness and some of us are really terrified. But help us all, as we sing, help us to fear no foe, whether that's a virus, 
or our sin or the devil himself because you were at hand to bless. We pray for our many friends who are not here among us and ask that you would be with them. Father, be at work. Be at work in us that no matter the circumstance, no matter the difficulty or even the isolation, that we would know our Savior loves us and that he is for us. That we have a Savior who has conquered death and we find our place with him and those who will be resurrected unto eternal life. Would you be with us as we continue to worship? In his name we pray, amen. Friends, let us confess our faith using the Heidelberg Catechism as we continue through it. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins and because salvation should not be sought and cannot be found in anyone else. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Know that you are forgiven and be at peace. Thanks be to God. If you would please stand, greet one another using polite social distancing techniques. If you need coffee, the coffee's in the foyer, and feel free to use the restrooms.
If you guys would, please be seated. We're continuing into uh, continuing and finishing up John chapter seven this morning, and. Uh, we're looking at verses 28 through 52. So a little bit longer passage. Since it is God's word though, if you're willing and able, would you please stand as I lead us in the reading of this? Hear now the word of God. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from. But I haven't come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. And him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Imagine this. 
you are dying of thirst. And you're given two options. The first option is this, to be dropped near a cold, clear river in the Rocky Mountains. And the second is to be dropped near downtown Tulsa next to the Arkansas River. Which would you choose? I submit to you this morning that the muddy brown waters of the tepid Arkansas River would be gladly exchanged for the clear and life-giving waters of the Rocky Mountains. And the reason I say that is because of the passage in Jeremiah that Harrison spoke earlier. Why would we give up the cold, clear waters of a mountain river for muddy, brown, tepid waters? It's because sin has introduced this absurd belief that our God-given thirst can be quenched with God-absent waters. Where are you going to slake your thirst? Unlike the last couple of weeks, we're not going to go through the text really kind of line by line. Instead, what we're going to do is look at it through the different people who are speaking in this. We're going to look at what Jesus is saying. Then we're going to go to the crowds. These are normal people who are at this Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. I've said it a couple of times this week and people have heard me said Feast of Booze. That, no, it's not Feast of Booze, Feast of Booths. Um, then we're going to look at the Jewish leaders, which John calls here either the Jews or the Pharisees. Then we're going to look at Nicodemus, who Jesus first encountered in John chapter 3, and then we'll return to Jesus and look at him as the idea, look at him as both the fountain and the fulfillment in this passage. So kids, are you out there? Listen up. I want you to listen for three different words. I want you to listen for Pharisees. I want you to listen for Nicodemus. And I want you to listen, to, listen for Shofar. Pharisees, Nicodemus, and Shofar. I'll explain what a Shofar is. A little bit later. But let's start by looking at what Jesus says in today's passage. So there's three times that Jesus is speaking. The first is in verses 28 through 29. He says, You know me, and you know where I come from. I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. 
Jesus is speaking to these people who think that they know him, but they really don't. As we talked about last week, this first line in 28 is to be taken more uh, maybe ironic and sarcastic. You think you know me and where I come from. They really don't know where he comes from on an earthly plane, and they don't know where he comes from on a heavenly plane. They keep calling him a Galilean. They didn't realize that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. This is later alluded to, and of course they don't know that he came from the Father. And if you look down at verses 33 and 34, Jesus says, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Of course, this causes a lot of confusion among the people because they don't understand that Jesus is talking about a vertical realm as opposed to a horizontal realm. It's almost as if the crowds and even the the Jewish leaders are taking this as a game of hide and seek like we'd have with a kid. You know, when, you, when kids are really little, hide-and-seek is awesome, right? Because they think they are hidden if they can't see you, right? So they get under a blanket, and <laughs> I was just thinking about this with my own kids. Like, they get under a blanket with their head, and their backside, little diaper bottom, is in the air, They say, you can't see me. Well, I can't see your eyes, but I can see your biscuits. (laughs) Right? And it's as if, oh, by the way, yeah, that's that's the term in our household, biscuits. Um, If you want a further explanation, you can ask me. It's as if the crowds here are kind of playing this game. Jesus is talking about his glorification and ascension. He's talking about something giant, and yet the crowds are talking about something entirely different. You're going to go to the Jews? I mean, to the Greeks? To the diaspora? To the dispersion? And then the last time Jesus speaks in this passage, verses 37 through 38, he says this, if anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This brings us back to what we read in the call to worship in Isaiah 55. This has so many Old Testament allusions. Jesus says, if anyone, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. You know, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if we find in ourselves a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. What Harrison read earlier, Jeremiah 2.13, a striking indictment upon God's people. The Lord says, for my people have committed two evils. 
Not one, but two. First, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And two, they've hewed out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Rather than going to this fountain of living water, this is also the exact same term in Greek as running water. Think of it as a river as opposed to a reservoir. Instead of going to this living water, to this running water, what they have done is made for themselves containers And not just containers, broken containers that as soon as you fill them up, they run out. You and I and everyone else in this world, we have a thirst within us that nothing in this world can satisfy. And so our natural answer is to make cisterns. And what we find is that they don't hold water. We see this in everything that we try to find life in. We see this in all of the things that we run after. That's money. I think it was John Rockefeller who said, someone asked him, how much money is enough? And his answer was more. Money doesn't buy you life. It, It might buy you a bunker that you can hide out in during the coronavirus scare. It's not gonna buy you life. or a spouse, those of you who are single and really desiring someone to be with, and those of you who are in a marriage that you, that you love, in a marriage that's really difficult, you're not going to find life in your spouse because they weren't designed to give you life. And a job Even those of us who have the privilege of doing jobs that we love, that job, it'll disappoint. You're not going to find life in it. In kids, this is, this is one that I've seen the most since we've been in Oklahoma, in Owasso. The sheer number of people who try to find life in their children, in their children's achievements, in their grades, in their kids' sports, in their kids' just recognition. Look at my child. That doesn't give you life. And you can, we can keep listing different things over and over again. You have a thirst within you that is not quenched by anything on this earth. 
our natural inclination is to make broken cisterns out of everything in our life. We need to stop. And we need to realize that the only thing that's going to quench our thirst is the true fountain of living water and to go to him. What Jesus says here in verses 37 through 38 might be really strange because we might come up with a picture of streams of water flowing out of the body of some person who is drinking to quench his thirst. Right? But if we think back to John 4, verse 14, in the woman at the well, and there Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In both of these cases, the reference is to the Spirit as a forceful and never-failing source of life and gifts to those who believe in Jesus. What's important for us, those of us who are in Christ, is to see this. If you have believed upon Jesus, you have these living waters. Do not ignore that. So this is what Jesus says in the passage. Let's move to how the crowds receive what Jesus says. Look at verse 31. When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? This begins, there's different types of conditional sentences in Greek, and this is one that assumes a negative response. When the Christ appears, there, he won't do more signs than this guy, will he? So they're assuming that because of what Jesus has done already, it's not, there's not going to be anyone who's going to be better than this guy. But then contrast that to what they say in verses 40 through 43. Look at it. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Possibly mentioning Elijah. Not the Messiah, but the one who's going to come before the Messiah. In the look in verse 41, others said, this is the Christ. So some are saying, this is the guy. This is the Christ. He's the Messiah. And yet look at the end of 41 and 42. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So, they, so you have some people here who are biblically literate, realize that the Christ is to come from Bethlehem, and yet they miss the big picture. That Jesus really is the Messiah. For those of us who know our Bibles, this should give us pause. These people are biblically literate, and yet they miss Jesus, don't they? And so and then in verse 43, it wraps up so there was a division among the people over him. You had some people saying, maybe he's Elijah come back. Because Elijah didn't die in the Old Testament. 
So he was taken up to heaven. And so the Jews believed that he was going to come back before the Messiah. And you had other people saying, no, this is the Messiah. This is the promised one of God. He is the Christ. And yet you had other people who said, I know my Bible better than you. And it's not, this guy isn't the Christ. And so even among the crowds, there was division in them. So let's take a look then at what the Jews, these Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, say. Look at verses 35 through 36. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Most of the Jews at this time were in the region of Israel, specifically Judea, in Jerusalem. And as you went further out from that, you found fewer and fewer Jews. So there were actually Jews living in the Greek region, Jews living in the Syrian region, and all around. And so they're curious as to what Jesus is saying here. Is he going to go to those Jews that are scattered way out? So that we can't find them? Because... It can't be in Jerusalem. If he's in Jerusalem or whatever, we can find him. They have no idea that he is talking vertically as opposed to horizontally. They send officers to arrest Jesus, right? And then the officers didn't arrest Jesus. They come back and they say, "Um, nobody we've ever seen has spoken like this. That would be an awesome way to get out of a traffic ticket, wouldn't it? Like, you spout wisdom, and the officer goes, I've never seen anyone speak like this. Please go free without a fine. Um, It doesn't work. I think tears work better, but um, the officers didn't arrest him. And the Pharisees are furious at this. Look at verses 47 through 48. The Pharisees answered the officers, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law. This crowd that does not know the law is accursed. You see the vitriol in their language. Have you been deceived? You ignorant, uneducated officers. Not one of the Pharisees has believed in him. These crowds that don't know the law, they are accursed. They are damned. And yet, they don't really know about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. So let's shift our focus then to what Nicodemus says. He makes an appearance now after John 3 Look at verses 50 and 51. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he has done, or learning what he does? Very interesting in John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night so that no one sees him come to him. Jesus talks about being born again. Or born from above, Nicodemus doesn't get it at all. And yet, here, it seems that Nicodemus is standing up for Jesus. How can we judge a man 
without a trial. The Pharisees had said, has any of the Pharisees believed in him? And maybe Nicodemus has. Maybe he has. But he does stand up for Jesus. In this, maybe. Maybe he was just one of these people who wants to do things right, to keep a calm and cool head, or maybe actually he saw Jesus as the Christ. So these are our four voices that we see. We see Jesus, the crowds, the Jewish leaders, and then we see Nicodemus. Now let's go back and look at a couple of the things that Jesus said to see how he's not only a fountain, but also a fulfillment. One of the questions that I ask when I read these gospel accounts is this. Why does Jesus say what he says when he says it? Why does Jesus say what he says when he says it? In the three different statements in today's passage that Jesus gives, I think the first two statements make sense about what he says when he says it. But the third one, honestly, makes very little sense to the naked eye. Look at verses 37 through 38. They're at the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a seven-day feast where the people come, they pilgrimage in to Jerusalem, they make for themselves these huts out of willow branches and palm leaves and everything. Think of it like an old, like a tent. And they stay in this and they have a feast for seven days. And then in verse 37 it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What an odd thing to say. What an odd thing to say at the time. Why would Jesus say this when he did? Were those who who took this pilgrimage, were they thirsty? They've already been there for six days. There's plenty of water in Jerusalem. And that can't be it. So what is it? In answering this question, context is king. On this last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, here's what happens. A golden pitcher is filled with water from the pool of Siloam. And it is carried in a procession led by the high priest back to the temple. And as the procession approaches the gate on the south side of the temple toward the inner court, a shofar. A shofar is a ram's horn that's been hollowed out and turned into a trumpet a shofar blasts out three times. And the crowds watch this procession of priests march around the altar with the golden pitcher. And the temple choir is singing these psalms of ascent. 
And when the choir reaches Psalm 118, every man in the crowd shakes a bundle of sticks from a willow tree that's wrapped together in palm leaves in his right hand. And as these men raise their left hand with a piece of citrus fruit and they cry out, Give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. And the high priest, the high priest takes water in the golden bowl along with wine in a silver bowl and he pours them both upon the altar where the burnt offering is as a drink offering to the Lord. Why does he pour out the water and the wine as a drink offering to the Lord? He does this to remind the Israelites of how God provided them with water in the desert when they were wandering and with wine in the promised land of Canaan. The Israelites drink water and wine from God their provider. And in this context, on this last and great day of the feast, as the water and wine are being poured out upon the burnt offering, Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's as if Jesus is crying out, It is not the rock that provided water in the desert that satisfies you. It is not the wine that was provided in Canaan that satisfies you. It is me. If you are thirsty, come to me. What was sought and celebrated during this feast finds its very fulfillment in Jesus. It's not a random statement that Jesus stood up and said. He said, this thing that you're celebrating, friends, it finds its fulfillment in me. And I think that that shows us something today. The entirety of human history finds the fulfillment of its purpose and the fulfillment of its desire in the Messiah, in the one Savior, Jesus. Do you want to be fulfilled? Do you want to be satisfied? Friend, there is only one that can do that. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your help. That as we see our thirsts and recognize them, keep us from hewing out cisterns for ourselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water and enable us to run to Jesus. The fulfillment of our every desire and the satisfaction of our souls. Amen. We're not going to have an offering this morning, um, at least passing the plates. There are offering buckets you'll see on the four tables where we're going to uh, take the Lord's Supper. So if you would, take these and put them in the offering buckets as well as your, your offerings. Um, I want to encourage you this morning as well.
at every, at every station, the, uh, the wine and the grape juice and the bread has been prepared according to food standards with someone wearing gloves. And this morning, uh, each of the servers will be wearing gloves as well. Uh, if, you need, if you feel like you need to be served individually, please let me or one of the servers know. Um, we come to Jesus for the satisfaction of our souls, friends. And the Lord's Supper is our weekly reminder of that. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant and my blood poured out for the remission of sins. Drink of it, all of you. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks unto our Lord God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. It is right and good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks unto you, O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and everlasting God. And therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and singing. This is the table of the Lord. It's not the table of Trinity. So if, you, if you're a Christian who's been baptized by water in the triune name and you're a part of a church where the gospel's preached, friend, this is for you. It's not, it's not for us because we've done well this past week. It's not for us because we tried hard. It's for us because we were broken and in need of Jesus' grace. If you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. Because if you eat the bread and you drink the wine, what you're doing is proclaiming that Jesus died for you and that he's coming again. And we just ask for intellectual honesty here, right? And so in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then the servers will come and we'll take the supper together and we'll go to the, the four stations. Uh, the red is wine, the white is grape juice, and all of your little bread things are in little communion cups, so feel free to, to grab one of those and, oh, I was going to say down it, but feel free to eat it, and I don't know what we're supposed to do with the cups. Does someone know what we're supposed to do with the little cups? Put them in the offering bucket. Oh, sorry, just put them on the table. <laughs> Look, this is a first. We haven't done it like this before. God has grace for us in this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for Jesus.
our fountain, the fulfillment of everything that we need. And we ask you to be with us now as we take the supper by faith. Lift us up into the heavenlies where Jesus is. We pray in his name. Amen. I neglected to mention that there's hand sanitizer on this speaker, on that speaker, and on the main back table if you want to use it before and or after.
Make sure to check the back of your bulletin for announcements. And just a word, uh, we, we plan on continuing services at Trinity as normal as we had today. If there's any change in that, you'll of course uh, see that via email, on our Facebook site, and also on our webpage. Now here, this good word, this benediction from God, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now let us go forth to serve our neighbors and the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace.